We would like to thank your sponsor, Valley First, a division of First West Credit Union and a member-owned financial cooperative serving the Okanagan, Similkameen, and Thompson regions. They offer a wide range of banking and investment services for individuals and families. Valley First also has a talented business and commercial team to provide the expertise, products, and services local businesses need to grow and thrive. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Business Matters presented by Bally First, a division of First West Credit Union, where we delve into the stories and insights of leaders and change makers in our community. I'm your host, Rob Capel, and today we're welcomed by, uh, joined, sorry, by Esther Pike. Esther, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. So, Esther, you're the founder and CEO of Fledge Solutions. You work under the Action Edge Executive Deve Development Umbrella. And um, with Fledge Solutions, you're a company dedicated to enhancing business performance by focusing on people's most or the most valuable asset, which is people. Um, imagine that. So, so we want to dive into a little bit of your journey and you know what, what you're doing today. So I'm curious. I like to start kind of going back. So I was reading your profile and it says you started your professional journey at 17 coming to Kelowna. So I'm curious, what was that? Like, what, what was that entrepreneurial journey looking like? And what did you want to do when you grew up? Like you're 17, you're like, man, when I grow up, I'm going to be this. Like, what did, what did that look like? <laughs> oh, wow. Well, if you really want to go far back enough, the first job I ever wanted to have was to be a garbage man. So I think I've grown out of that phase <laughs> of my life. When I hit 17, I uh, I had actually started working uh, just my, my first foray into full-time work in a structured environment. It was with uh, Dees Bottle Depot here in, in Kelowna, up in Rutland. Uh, and that was uh, six years I, I spent there. It was it was my first real adult job. Uh, and the reason that I say that my professional life started there was because I, looking back on it now, maybe I wasn't aware of it at the time, but looking back on it now, it was such a valuable learning experience for me in being able to understand the importance that your your profession and the things that you you do on a daily basis truly have an impact on your life. Uh, I started, like I said, in, in just the kind of customer service, figuring my way up around the till and, and what customer service really means, moved my way up to key holder and, and management and working in the back, organizing, shipping, receiving. There were a lot of hats that I ended up wearing uh, in that particular company. Uh, and it did inspire me towards my my educational path, which which ended up being psychology and, and eventually a specialization in business psychology. So I, I think I'll always be grateful for for that experience. And, you know, shout out to to Claire and Kara over there for, you know, guiding me along the way as as a little teen. <laughs> so what sparked like like what sparked your interest in psychology, occupational psychology, mm. an aspect of business? Like what what was it about what you were doing there? Like, oh, geez, this is something I want to go down. It was a mix of two things. I think I always had a bit of an inclination towards it. I, I remember when I was younger, I didn't want to be read fairy tales. I always asked my mom to read the encyclopedia to me before bed, and it would always be the section about the brain was was the part that I was fascinated about. So I think that there's always been something there that's just kind of grown with me. Uh, but particularly in that job, in that aspect, once I started getting more responsibility, I realized how subtle changes in the way that I approached uh, the people that I was responsible for, the people that I was leading, uh, and even the customers to a certain extent, uh, and, and managing up. So the way that I would talk to my bosses, 
had such a profound impact on their daily experience in the work environment and subsequently the way that they ended up showing up at home to a certain extent because one of the key parts that I that I always focus on is we're not just changing things for people at work when people are satisfied at work then they don't bring that home they have more energy with their families with their friends with their external activities all around we're we're really changing lives and and at the end of the day that's i think what what drew me most to it it was something i was good at and it was something i was interested in so how did that so you went through that path and i know we'll talk about sort of you know you've worked in other leadership roles and you know community organizations and so forth but what was the moment that led sort of the spark that was like i'm going to start my own company flood solutions and and then we'll talk about how it led into what you're doing today but when did that when did that happen like where, where did you say like i want to do my own thing Gosh, I have to say, I pretty much just accidentally opened my own company. <laughs> it was honestly, I uh, I was working at the time. I believe it was at the YMCA, uh, right. and it was in uh, it was in a nonprofit role. I was the EA for for Sharon Peterson, who was the CEO at the time, uh, and I was also uh, working on the administrative side of of the fundraising division. Uh, so a, a lot of the work that I was doing was right. grant focused and related. And, uh, one of the board directors had, uh, recommended me to another organization at the time and asked, Hey, I see that you're really good at this. Do you mind helping out? So I did, but then that turned into not just assistance with the fund development side and turned into assistance with just growing, you know, this right. small grassroots nonprofit into something that is a little bit more structured, recognizable functions. Well, has a job description, has a structure, has, you know, governance and, and all of those things. So um, once that happened, I got recommended again to another local organization and it just kind of spiraled from there. And I got caught basically just saying, oh, I should probably start actually making this legitimate. And, yeah. and you know, it's it's not just a side hustle anymore that I'm, that I'm you know, just kind right. of keeping as a part of my extra <laughs> income, but uh, but actually something that that started running away from me quite quickly if i'm honest interesting so tell us about flood solutions and maybe the connection with active edge as well so if you can tell us about the services you provide for businesses yes yes absolutely so my company is called uh fledge solutions yep. uh and this is i've i've like i said i've held it for for about four uh coming up on five years now Action Edge Executive Development is is an umbrella organization that I subcontract under. So the the joy that I find in, in working with with them in particular is I get to retain my independence. We're all independent contractors who work with them, uh, but there's still a structure that we get to work under. We get to work as a team, uh, and we get to bring all of our different expertises in. And I and I think you know kudos to to Jared and Kevin who have who have grown the organization. Uh, they've really brought together a, a fantastic group of individuals who who have different um, areas of expertise. So right. one of the reasons that that I was approached was because of my background in in business psychology. It was something that was seen as you know potentially useful in in a lot yeah. of the work that they were uh, doing. And uh, you know the the Okanagan uh, was definitely growing in terms of the mm -hmm. the client pool. Um, and I just happened to to be here. So I kind of, I kind of function under multiple hats all the time to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, regardless of what hat I'm I'm wearing, a lot of it will depend on, okay, what is the business looking for? 
what is the extent of the project is this you know something that would require you know a, a little bit more of a national perspective right. a little bit more bench strength that you need to bring in exactly. yeah yeah exactly because there's only so much that i can bring and if yeah. i can bring a team along with me then that's even better right interesting yeah. so i'm curious i mentioned that you've you've led you've been in stories like various like leadership roles and you've been actively involved in the community organization. So I'm curious if you can speak a little bit of how those experiences have shaped your approach today. Like what, can you mm -hmm. draw on some things that are like, yeah, like being in those roles has helped me now today when I'm sitting in a boardroom with someone or if I'm sitting with a company of sole proprietor, like how, how has that helped? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I have to say every single experience that I've had with, with every single organization has taught me something right. that I now take with me as I move on. Uh, I think my, my first experience in a, in a nonprofit was, was, uh, with the Red Cross. It was on a volunteer basis originally. And, and I've, I've said this before in interviews as well. My, my apartment caught fire and I got help by the Red Cross, which was kind of astounding to me because I, I mm. had such a, a skepticism around nonprofits previously. Uh, so I decided to give back because I was helped so fantastically by that organization on a, on a local level. Uh, and I think that for, particularly with that, those positions that I held, uh, I grew my skill set quite a lot. It was an area where I could branch out my, my learnings and actually apply my degree to practice right. a lot more. So I started just at reception a little bit, and then there was a, a growing um, structuring for what's called the volunteer and customer support service, uh, which started here in the Okanagan kind of, and then it grew to be regional and then it grew to be provincial. And then I'm pretty sure that the structure ended up growing to be national. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy to have been a part of that journey and process. Uh, I also transitioned into, uh, working, uh, remote human resources for the Syrian refugee crisis and the Fort McMurray fires that were happening at the time. So that gave me a, a fantastic perspective of what people can and are willing to do for absolutely free. These right. are all volunteers. You know, the Red Cross is, I think it's 86% of the time volunteer based. Um, and that pushed me into really having um, a big interest in what intrinsic motivation truly looks like. Because I noticed that the people who are just volunteering for the Red Cross put in so much effort and so much work and seem so much happier than some of my colleagues who were being paid for the jobs that they right. were doing. And I just found that so fascinating. And I had to, I had, I started my, my research once I hit my master's actually focused specifically on that was, was in nonprofits, the, the role that intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation plays in people's job satisfactions. Um, and it's immense, you know, Interesting. We, we talk about uh, this, this concept of a, of a, you know, when, when people start complaining about things like hours and pays and work, right. those are the extrinsic motivators, right? Right. But that's the hygiene factor. That's actually uh, usually from my experience. And sometimes it's not, sometimes it's a legitimate concern, but, but usually it's actually an indication that they are unhappy about some sort of intrinsic aspects of the job. Right. Right. Yeah. There's something else, right. That causes yes. that. Interesting. I'm curious. I was looking at the website on from, from pledges that mm -hmm. one of the things that it said is, you know, uh, you do an organizational audit. Yes. I'm curious if you could just I'm what what that means, what that looks like, what that process looks like, and sort of what you get out of that, like what the end sort of the benefits that you get from that. Yes, that particular part of my service is uh, something that came about as a result of a mistake I made fairly early on in in my career. <laughs> <laughs> I I uh, I 
again got recommended for to help out with an organization and they uh they said they needed one thing and i just um trusted them at the word and yeah that's exactly where where i kind of made that mistake of oh i probably should have done my due diligence first to to figure out whether the execs and CEO actually had a clear understanding of what was truly going on as opposed to just taking them on the, on their word. So I, you know, I designed this entire intervention for, for their staff, which ended up being fairly useless to a certain extent, you know, right. on the fly had to turn it around to a certain extent, but um, organizational audits, uh, it sounds scary, but really it's just me taking a look at three very specific parts. It's the, the people, um the the product or service and then the process right because at some level whatever it is that an organization is experiencing it it will be on one of those three levels that there needs to be some sort of work being being done right you can have the appropriate uh structures being put in place but you know you don't have the right bums in the right seats right yeah. or or you're not really playing to the people that you have you're not playing to their strengths um, on the other side, I've also been in an organization where the group is fantastic, the teamwork is great, the culture is fan- really, really good, but the way that the structure and the system and the process is set up is just really hurting them, right? Mm-hmm. So so those are the kinds of things that I try to investigate through that organizational audit. And to a certain extent, I, I do um, insist on it before I bring any sort of intervention in. Yeah, I use that analogy. I've read this somewhere in a book. It's like going to when our medical system's working. It was going to a doctor, right? They they should analyze. If you just go in and say they're not just, they shouldn't just take your word and go, you know, the ideas are going to give you an assessment and then give you a prescription of what it is. And I kind of use that. I think that's what the analogy you're using. I thought that was interesting. So yes, definitely. Um, I saw another word on there. I was curious. Or another phrase is psychometric assessments. Yes. What's a psychometric assessment? <laughs> okay, so here we go. Down, down into the rabbit hole of, of my profession. So occupational psychology is uh, business psychology is the easiest way that I can describe it. It's, okay. it's the psychology of people in the workplace, right? So that's on an individual level, on a group level, kind of sociology, psychology, all together mixed in for a very specific environment. Right. Uh, and there are five main categories, so to speak, that this comes out in. It's leadership engagement and motivation. That's the one. One, yeah. you have uh, work design, organizational change and development. That's the second well-being at work. And this includes things like what's called uh, ergonomic functioning. So, you know, things like lighting and mm-hmm. the, the way that the layout of the office is, you know, do people actually have a, a good feeling when they're walking into the space? Uh, learning, training and development always. And then the fifth one is psychometric assessments. And these are, I like to call it a tool. I have a specialization in it. It's a separate license and it allows me to use psychometric assessments as a tool when I walk into an organization. The easiest way to describe it, and I think most businesses and people, professionals will have had experience with like a Myers-Briggs or a Four Colors or a DISC assessment, or, you know, there's so many of them out there, uh, you know, uh, strengths finders, right? Um, And these are the most commonly known uh, ones. My license allows me to administer and to a certain extent create custom ones for, for whatever needs are required. Mm. Um, but what I really, really want to always make sure when I'm walking into an organization and suggesting a psychometric assessment of any kind, that they understand that it's a tool. And one of the biggest, um, unfortunate things that I see in, in businesses that have tried going down the assessment route 
is they see it as a definition. They see it as a definition of themselves. This is now my color. This is my number. This is my title. This is my whatever. Uh, and it ends up being counterproductive. The point of psychometrics assessment is to provide a common language. That's it. It's trying to conceptualize something that is actually really hard to define sometimes and categorize it to a certain extent. It is not meant to be a label because at the end of the day, what I have seen happen in some organizations is that they'll, they'll stick their color on their desk or on their, on their office door and use it almost as an excuse for their behavior. Right. And, and now you've just perpetuated an issue that you were trying to, to get rid of in the first place. So it's quite a delicate area that I, that I do like to be in, but I, I have some pet peeves about. <laughs> how do you, that, so how do you balance or how do you handle then that resistance to change with an organization? So you must like, you know, from you walking in as a consultant and mm -hmm. or you're analyzing, you're doing audit, you're coming back. And then the staff, like then, then the other part is like, now you got to implement it and you got to execute on it. So how do you, how do you handle like, cause I think some people, I shouldn't say it all, cause I don't want to be the same brush are resistant to change. Well, we've been, we've been doing it like this forever. Who are you to tell me that I need to change? So how do you handle that part? So it's funny that you mentioned that because you did use kind of that doctor patient analogy and it is absolutely something that it's one of the methodologies that we use in any form of consulting or coaching, but there's three really. The, the first one is kind of that expert perspective. It's when you come in and I'll tell you what to do. Sometimes you got to pull that out. Not yeah. always. I don't recommend it. The doctor patient one feels a little bit better, um, but it can sometimes uh, put you in a position where, there, where you still get that resistance because right. there, there isn't really a sense of being convinced that the solution that you're providing is actually going to do much of a difference. Yeah. So one of the things that I really like to focus on is, is what's called a, a, a process-focused methodology of, of any sort of consulting. And that means making sure that you're asking the right questions first. A lot of my clients will try to rush to a solution way too early and they'll press me for an answer very quickly because they're looking for some sort of solution but i cannot truly provide any sort of, of accurate right. um, suggestion until i get to the bottom of what's truly going on and that's why that so-called diagnostic process yeah. is so critical and important the way that I get about the the um, resistance of it is I try to get down to the root cause of, of the pain point. Mm -hmm. And if I can fully understand what my client is going through first before trying to determine what should be done, there tends to be more buy-in because now you're speaking their language. You mm -hmm. understand what's going on. And it's not meant to be a hierarchical process. I'm not the expert coming into this organization telling you what you should be doing because I'm smarter than you. It's a collaborative process. I don't know your business as well as you do. I don't live it every day. I come in with a certain external perspective, but I can't work that unless you provide me with your internal one. So the second that you establish that relationship first, it becomes much easier, right? And of course, you're always going to have resistance. For sure. But at the end of the day, the the benefits of going through the terrible sucky process of any sort of change implementation, which is always going to happen, yeah. um, the benefits have to make sense, and and they have to outweigh that, and they have to be temporary and not permanent, right? So I mean, I guess it's part of it is the the foundational how it's introduced to the team as well like if you do setting the expectations it makes it easier when you're walking in so so on that then how do you balance um 
like the business objectives of an owner, let's say, or of a company, and then the well-being of its staff. Like, how do you, because I, I could see, you know, sometimes, in, in, and maybe you say, well, I don't work with those type of organizations, but if it's an organization that, you know, sometimes is bottom line driven, how do you balance the two? How do you make sure that you're balancing the two of those? If I'm honest, I, I love working with those organizations the most because most often it's where I'm most needed. Mm. Um, I think that as a society, we've gotten a little bit better at understanding the uh, the need and the necessity for, for ensuring that our staff have a certain standard of well-being in the workplace. Um, for individuals who are very quantitatively minded and, and very business bottom line driven, uh, there's a plethora of research that I can pull out that shows exactly how important making sure that you have satisfied staff is to your mm -hmm. bottom line. Mm -hmm. Because when you have a revolving door of staff, um, when you have staff that is uh, no longer actually fully present in the workplace, right, right. Uh, when you have staff that are sometimes even actively going against what it is that you're working, do you really think that you're going to achieve your bottom line? No, you're not. So, you know, the, the business at the end of the day is only as good as the people in it. Yeah. And I've seen businesses both flourish and fail specifically because of the people that were in it and how the dynamics ended up just falling into place without any sort of guidance. So there's there's sometimes, you know, a, a process of, of having to not explain that. I don't like to use the word explain, but but to provide a little bit of perspective of exactly how important this is to the bottom line. One of the things that I that I will say um, that I'm very um, happy about is that my my own career journey originally started with a very high functioning nonprofit. And it was with the YMCA. And I, I feel very lucky to have had that experience because I worked very closely uh, with uh, the board to a certain extent because I was right. an EA for the CEO. And then I was also very much kind of like down on the ground with the administrative aspects. So I got the full breadth, depth and scope right. of the organization. And it was a very high functioning board. I didn't know that at the time because I didn't have any other boards to really right. compare to. Right. Uh, but it, it gave me an understanding of what it's supposed to look like and how it could function. Um, and, and when I moved out of that, I realized nonprofits are really fantastic at doing the things and, and being very vision oriented and having that intrinsic motivation, but they need somebody at the end of the day who's going to provide that more business mindset. And that's usually the roles that I ended up falling into. I, I loved being able to support the staff in, in my organizations in a way that they could go out and, and do whatever they needed to do to achieve the mission that they needed to achieve while I was in the background making sure that the scaffolding of the business, that the actual structure, that everybody's getting paid, that we have enough resources, yes. that that was all being met. Um, and that's now what I bring to the table as well. I'm very bottom line driven to a certain extent as well, naturally. Right. But having had these experiences in nonprofit, I see the massive benefit that having a proper values-driven organization that walks the talk is so critical to the success of a business in in every way shape and form interesting and when you when you're working with an organization um do you typically stay on like i saw that you know there's workshops that you do um one-on-one -on -one coaching that you do so is it typically strategy you've implement you hand over a blueprint and off you go or are you engaged with making sure checking in, coaching, helping 
deliver on whatever change management or anything that you're actually recommending? I would say it depends on the organization quite a bit and what their needs are. Personally, okay. I, I do prefer the project-based work okay. uh, because it, it forces me to make sure that my service is at a level that I'm comfortable with leaving this organization to work on its own now. Right. I don't want to necessarily create a relationship where anybody is ever reliant on me. Mm. Um, but so, so project-based work is, is definitely something that I, that I prefer because I would like the organization to understand that there is a way that they can do this themselves. Right. Right. But at, at, at the end of the day, there are certain things that you just kind of need somebody external all the time. Mm. And that's where the one-on-one -on -one coaching I think is, is key. Mm. When you get to a point where you're so high up the ladder that you're an executive or a CEO, yeah. the air gets thin, you don't have very many peers, you end up not having very much of a sounding board. And there is to a certain extent, a little bit of an expectation to have all of the answers. So it comes in handy to have somebody like me who is external, who's kind of gone through the process, understands what it means to be at that high level, um, to, to give you a little bit of a, of a shove every once in a while. A lot yeah. of what I do in one-on-one -on -one coaching is... Um, challenge providing challenge um and providing accountability because accountability. nobody in their circle in their immediate circle is there to be able to provide that yet fair enough interesting um i'm curious is there any uh sort of high level recommendations on how like if someone's listening like enhancing employee well-being is there some best practices you can give without and i get everybody's different 100 percent get that but just you've done enough of these like is there things that that businesses can implement that are, you know, uh, maybe enhanced well-being or mental health in a workplace? So one of the things that I will say is there are a plethora of resources for that out there. And if I were to truly take a, an, a, a proper step back and see what was the common thread that pulls through all of the organizations that have done it well, it was a genuine interest in betterment. And mm -hmm. a continuous understanding that it is an ever-changing process. Right. You're always going to have to keep on top of it. And you're always going to have to try to maneuver and figure out what the best way to serve your people are. I would never say that there was a specific intervention or a specific methodology that worked better than most. Half the time, the organizations that I would perceive to be the most successful have made many mistakes along the way. But the point is that they tried. And when they made a mistake, they owned up to it. And the staff genuinely appreciated it. The word authenticity gets thrown out a lot and, right. and it's turned into a little bit of a buzzword, same as resilience, same yeah. as you know, good, good, toxic culture. And yeah. there's so many buzzwords that end up getting thrown out. But a true feeling of authenticity really does come from genuine care. And your, your staff and, and the people that you work with will always be able to forgive you, so to speak, for any sort of potential, you know, mistakes or falling off the path, as long as you're willing to continue improving and you're willing to own up to it because you're setting that standard right from the get-go. And then all of a sudden they feel comfortable in admitting their own mistakes. And as a business owner, you sure as hell want your staff to be admitting when they've made a mistake, right? So so it's that kind of environment of trust is is what I would say is the key common thread to any sort of workplace well-being. Interesting. Love it. So I want to end on sort of where, where do you want to go with this? Like where's sort of the vision for yourself and, you know, you picture yourself three or five years down the road, like where do you see, where do you see Esther? 
<laughs> oh gosh in the same in in a similar spot i guess still still working in in the same function that i am right now i i would like to touch more okanagan businesses i would say um i i my current roster is is wide um a, a lot of the companies that i work for are sometimes extra provincial or they're national right, right um and i have a couple of of local organizations that i am working for at the moment but you know self i don't know if i should say selfishly but selfishly to a certain extent this community is the one that grew me this right. community is the one that has has really helped shape me and turn me into who i am the opportunities that i was provided uh, the chances that were taken on me as as a younger professional growing up within my career, I want to have the opportunity to be able to give back to the local organizations that that have truly helped to to shape that because I think that Kelowna is a very unique community. Um, I didn't grow up here. I grew up in the lower mainland right um, and I didn't think community existed until I came here. so it, it's something that I want to in whatever way I can continue to cultivate as best as I can. Well, that's that's a great message to end with. I love it. So Esther, thank you for spending some time sharing your journey uh, and the work, impactful work you're doing with businesses here. And always I get value whenever time we talk. So thank you for sharing the, some of the stuff in our conversation. Really enjoyed it. No, it was a privilege. Thank you so much, Rob. No problem. Um, for listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends. And for any feedback or suggestions, please feel uh, free to reach out to us. Uh, until next time, thank you for tuning into Business Matters and have a great day. We would like to thank your sponsor, Valley First, a division of First West Credit Union and a member-owned financial cooperative serving the Okanagan, Similkameen, and Thompson regions. They offer a wide range of banking and investment services for individuals and families. Valley First also has a talented business and commercial team to provide the expertise, products and services local businesses need to grow and thrive.